What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we have a special big new kickoff segment for you as we get to do college football. Holy smoke. You heard me say it many times over, but I have the longest offseason, for which you are part of, and the shortest in season. So when we get to finally play, you know, football, your man is all about it. So we'll talk about Nebraska and Northwestern in Ireland. We'll talk a little bit about the teams that can make the national championship game, and I've capped that number at 10. We'll talk about the Heisman, you know, contenders and finalists, and we'll get into all of that and why that award is flawed, but you also are not new, so you understand that I feel some kind of way about the Heisman Trophy, even as you love to hear me talk about the Heisman Trophy. And we'll get into my five most important and meaningful non-conference games. Most of these are going to happen in the month of September. This is the first of what I expect to be some really outstanding stuff we do over the course of the year. Some stuff I can't wait to tell you guys about that's going to happen. But, you know, just like a YouTuber, I'm giving you the hard sell and tease to try to keep you here. But we'll start with this. Nebraska, Northwestern, big noon in Dublin, Ireland. All right. So normally, you might not get me fired up about Nebraska and Northwestern. You might have a hard time about that. As a matter of fact, last year when that game went down, I looked up and said, wait a second. 56 to 7 and I was at an airport on my way home and I'm going what is this turns out that was the best that we'd seen Scott Frost Nebraska look for four friggin years and it's also the season in which they have the dubious honor of probably being the best three win team ever lots of close games lots of one score games and then that one gargantuan win 56-7 over Pat Fitzgerald's Northwestern one of the reasons I think this game is important is because we're in a do-or-die season, I believe, for Scott Frost. This is him with his back against the wall, and he's wounded. And the last time you saw someone of that stature with their back against the wall, you might call them, I don't know, a lion who's ready to pounce because I'm not going to court death in that way. And he went about it in the offseason going, I got to change everything up. I got to flip it all over. So... Got a new offensive line coach in Donovan Rayola, which I think is the most important part of what Nebraska is trying to do in 2022. And we got Scott Frost talking to uh, local Huskers radio talking about, hey, I see the offensive line unit vomiting 15, 20 times in each practice to which, hey, there's a few folks who are going, I don't think that, I don't think you're getting across what you think you're getting across there, Coach Frost. I really think that you should reconsider how you talk well about Donovan Rayola because that's what he was trying to get across is that they are meaner, they are nastier, and they are in better shape. The last time that I heard about a head coach talking about his new offensive line coach in that way, it was Bob Stoops talking about Bill Beatonbow in 2013. They went ahead and got Alabama in the Sugar Bowl and upset number three Alabama in the Sugar Bowl with Trevor, Trevor friggin' Knight at quarterback, which is one of the wildest games that I've ever covered in my entire life. Just did not expect it to go that way. So you have that going on for you if you're a Nebraska fan. You also have a new quarterback. We saw what some folks thought was a quarterback derby between Chuba Purdy, transferred from Florida State to Nebraska, also a you know little brother of one Brock Purdy who was at Iowa State. And then you have Casey Thompson coming from Texas to Nebraska, who we all thought was probably going to be the guy. I saw a lot of Casey Thompson because when he lived in Moore, South Moore, I lived in Norman, and I got to see a lot of high school football and about the time his little, or excuse me, his big brother Kendall was coming up, 
All Charles would tell anybody is that Casey's the one. Casey's the guy to keep your eye on. Goes out to Newcastle, gets an offer from Oklahoma, gets an offer from Texas, spurns Oklahoma to go to Texas, and really had an opportunity to jump in the portal like two years ago and end up at Oregon. He stayed for what would be Tom Herman's final year. Played a bunch for Steve Sarkeesian after losing the job to Hudson Card. Transfers this year to Nebraska, where I expect him to run Mark Whipple's offense to some level of high degree of spectacular rating. Like, the way that I look at this is, if Mark Whipple can do what he did with Kenny Pickett, I don't see why he can't do it with Casey Thompson. That's not a dig at Kenny Pickett. That's really Casey Thompson being that talented. And Mark Whipple having an offense that can go. It's one of the more high-profile moves that Scott Frost was able to pull off at Nebraska this offseason. You get the guy who put the only quarterback in the first round in this NFL uh, NFL's draft. Yeah, that's how you say that. NFL draft. Yeah, Kenny Pickett to the Steelers, who's probably going to have a really great partnership with George Pickens. But he also had a really great partnership with Jordan Addison, who is the reigning Bolitnikoff Award winner who transferred to USC. Also in there, I had somebody in the YouTube comments looking at uh, the preseason all AP All-Americans talking about is Jordan Addison actually a top three receiver? And I'm like, that's the reigning Bolitnikoff Award winner. He is the best wide receiver in the country. He's got the award to prove it. And Mark Whipple helped develop that. Now, Brendan Marion, the wide receiver that actually helped put Jordan Addison on the map, he's down at Texas, which is another reason why I think that Texas is going to be good, but that's something else entirely. Then, take into account what they are doing at wide receiver at Nebraska. One of the other really impressive moves that Scott Frost pulled off was getting Mickey Joseph to come back home. You'll know Mickey Joseph's name because he was wide receiver coach at LSU and helped put together what might be the best trio of wide receivers in the history of college football. Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall, Justin Jefferson, all his guys on that 2019 team where Joe Burrow was throwing them passes. They were making touchdowns. Joe Burrow wins the Heisman Trophy in a year that Chase Young should have won the Heisman Trophy, but I'm getting ahead of myself over there. He brings with him Trey Palmer from LSU and Dakota's to ever do it, Crawford. His real name, y'all, Dakota's to ever do it, Crawford, is playing wide receiver at Nebraska. He's also got one of the coolest, literally and figuratively and punny, NIL deals in existence. He has an NIL NIL deal with a local AC service in Lincoln, like you do when you Dakota's, right? So you got that going on for you if you were in Nebraska. They added, I think, one of the most underrated JUCO transfers of the last five years, and Anthony Grant from New Mexico Military Institute. Had like 1,800 yards rushing at New Mexico Military Institute. Also started out his career over at Florida State. They expect him to be the bell cow back in what I expect to be an offense that puts up a lot of points. You have a lot going for you if you're Scott Frost, but you also have a lot to contend with. Not only did he take a 20% uh, deduction in his salary going into this year, he got hit with a show cause, which, you know, doesn't mean much because Nebraska was not going to fire him. And it was a one-year show cause, so he's serving all of that in Nebraska. And Nebraska picked up some fines basically for him having someone who doesn't have one of the 10 on-the-field assistant titles working with players at a time period when he was not supposed to be working with players on the field. What it mostly is is insult to injury and embarrassing for Nebraska and embarrassing for Frost. And the last guy to get hit with a show cause that lasted one year was Dan Mullen, and that was the year after he had Florida looking like a national title contender that ends up losing to Alabama in 2020, and he gets shown the door, and he's working at some studio in Bristol now. That's how these things kind of go. But if you're Scott Frost, the thing to lean on, and for those of us that want to throw up Scott Frost as being one of the great coaches that I still think has more to prove, hey, man, he was outstanding in Oregon. Like, as offensive coordinator for Chip Kelly, he helped 
get Oregon to the national title game. He also developed a Heisman winner in Marcus Mariota, and they were like 33-8 and eight when he was offensive coordinator. He goes to Central Florida, flips that program into the kind that runs the table undefeated with a win against Auburn in the Peach Bowl 2017, and a claim to a national championship, and then four years of just bad at Nebraska just doesn't seem to fit. But I think that really underscores just what the effort has to be like to flip a, a program like Nebraska back to anything resembling when Scott Frost was quarterback in Nebraska in 1997, they won a national championship, and the 90s for Nebraska are really the golden era of football for Nebraska. And that's saying a lot because the 70s, 80s, they were pretty damn good too. Now, on the Northwestern side of things, Pat Fitzgerald has probably had that 56-7 loss in the back of his head for the entire offseason because it's embarrassing. Even if even if you get beat 56-7, it ain't Ohio State that beat you 56-7. It's three-win Nebraska. You're taking that with you when you go to Ireland. Again, can I just... Can we just take a moment and say we're in Ireland playing playing American football? Because it ain't like they don't play football, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's going to be wild. I can't wait to see what the Big Noon crew looks like, how many of those guys are wearing green, how many Irish jokes we get in, Irish puns we get in. I'm going to put the over-under on the pregame show and Irish mentions at, like, 15, right? I think we can get to 16 real quick. And shout-out to my man, your man, Rob Stone, who's probably going to get at least three of those in. I'm already just calling my shot in that way. You also have a preseason All-American and Peter Skronsky playing offensive line at Northwestern because somehow, some way, Pat Fitzgerald always finds a way to come up with one of the better players in all of college football. A couple years ago, it was Greg Newsom, And then a couple years after that, we have Rashawn Slater. And we've also had Brandon Joseph, right, who's an All-American at cornerback. He's playing safety at Notre Dame. They have some guys that I think can give Nebraska more than just a little bit of a hard time. And really, this game is going to be like playing two games at once, right? Dogfight football, if you will. Top Gun reference there. Because you have to game plan to get to Ireland, right? They've already left. They, they have to get there soon. They have to get acclimated. They have to get acclimated to the time change, which, you know, as a dude that spent time in four different time zones over the course of like a week, right, in the last weeks of July, I can tell you that was a lot for my mans to take. Going across the Atlantic, try to do that, and then play football? It's going to be who is better conditioned and who is better prepared mentally to go and try to win the football game at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, noon Eastern Time. I'm not sure what time it's going to be in Dublin, Ireland. I just know that we're all going to be watching the hell out of it because August 27th, we get football back. All right. I want to move from our big noon game to 10 teams who can make the national title game. Again, college football playoff is kind of too broad, even if it's just 14 playoffs. But two teams that probably could, or I should say 10 teams that could win a semifinal and end up in the national title game. And start here, we got Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Texas A&M, Utah, as you can see right there on the wing. I'm not going to spend a whole hell of a lot of time on Alabama or even Ohio State and Georgia, except to say, you know who Nick Saban is. You also know that he's getting 10-point nice million dollars to be head coach at Alabama when the contract ends in 2030 he will be 78 years old look this is the man who had hip replacement surgery a few years back and was golfing in like 11 days so I just I don't know that he ages like the rest of us are aging and recruiting and football seems to keep him very young so he'll probably be around to serve out that entire contract but it also makes him the highest paid coach in college football not a month after Kirby Smart became the highest paid coach in college football. So now the two highest paid employees at public universities ever 
are football coaches at Alabama and Georgia, right? Just let that marinate for just a little while. Ryan Day is making a cool $9.5 million, tied for third. It's fine there. But you also know what Ryan Day has offensively. We'll talk a little bit more about that. It's about whether or not the defense is going to be pretty doggone good. Jim Knowles already said, I put about 75% of the offense in. That's right where we should be. Let's be good at what we are good at. Let's let our athleticism take over. Let's see if the guys can see football, hit football. Okay, A&M, never been in a college football playoff. Utah, never been in a college football playoff. RJ, what the hell are they doing in this list? They're talented. They're talented at A&M, and they're experienced and talented at Utah. For Utah, it's about being the first team since Washington to win the Pac-12 championship and receive an invitation to the college football playoff. And then, judging by what they were able to do against Ohio State last year, taking it down to the wire, really coming down to a gut check call for Kyle Winningham and whether or not they win or lose that game, I think they have the defense and the offense to compete with any one of these teams in a national semifinal. It also depends a lot on what Mohamed Diabate is able to do at the middle linebacker position because Devin Lloyd was a fierce man running the middle of that defense from Morgan Scali last year, but he's also getting run ragged by Ohio State's receiving corps. You got to put a lid on that if you expect to contend for a national title spot. AM is just super talented, and Jimbo Fisher knows how to win national championships. He did it as an offensive coordinator with Nick Saban at LSU. He's done it as a head coach at Florida State. AM is just that program that can't seem to break through. No matter how much money they spend and no matter what the price of oil is, they seem to just be teetering there on the edge. And then they made it more difficult for themselves about 10 years ago when they decided to leave the Big 12 and go to the SEC West, which, you know, it's got not just Alabama in it, but LSU and Auburn, all teams that have won national championships in the last 10 years. And oh, by the way, Florida is pretty doggone good in most years. It's just a tough place to try to win football games before we start talking about Ole Miss making the Sugar Bowl and Mississippi State maybe popping up and being good. We'll see. I would like to see it. All right. From those five, let's go to the next five that I believe can make it to the national title game. All right. Notre Dame at six, Oklahoma at seven, USC at eight, Clemson at nine, and Texas at 10. All right. Notre Dame kind of takes care of itself in that they've proven that they can get to the national championship game at least once in the last 10 years, even if they got boat raced by Alabama in that game. So much so that many of us got up at halftime and decided to go do something else. Shout out to my lead producer, Tyler Wojak, who is a Notre Dame alumni and just is letting me call it like I see it. Now, it's also about Notre Dame being, I think, in a really great position to take advantage of some youth and some really, really outstanding defensive and offensive play calling from a Marcus Freeman, from an Al Golden defense coordinator, and from Tommy Reese, who's going to maintain the role that he had last year when Notre Dame was pretty damn good, ends up playing in the Fiesta Bowl, losing what I thought was a thrilling game to Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl. But you know that I love me some Marcus Freeman, 36 years old. This is his first opportunity to be a head coach. He goes and gets a win against Ohio State. It's no longer about whether or not they can get there. It's that they're going to be there. I think they could even take a loss with a win over Ohio State and get into the college football playoff. It's about can you win one of those games, say a 1-4 matchup, to get to the national championship game. If it's 1-4 against Alabama, we'll see. Right. But you really need to be in that two, three range. I think if you're Notre Dame and I think all of these teams could deal with being that two, three range to try to get to the national championship game. Next on that list for me is Oklahoma. Right. New head coach and Brent Venables also bring in a lot of what he learned over the past decade at Clemson, implementing that at Oklahoma. He's brought in an offense coordinator that could give everybody fits and Jeff Levy, whose offense is going to go fast, going to have a lot of tempo. 
He's also got a quarterback that knows the system. We'll talk a little bit more about him later, but it's also, I think, about what the defense can do with Brent Venables and Ted Roof running it. Billy Bowman apparently is showing out at the safety position. That was one of the better prospects, I believe, in the 2020 class coming out, 2021. Kind of forget sometimes with that dude because he's just so big and he's grown so fast. He's got diesel, man. Looked like CJ walking down the, the aisle talking about, or excuse me, the alley talking about, here we go again. That's the dude just getting ready to throw you hands. You also have DJ Graham coming off of what I thought was a great season for him, having that outstanding interception against Nebraska, that stupid Oklahoma fan. Or not, nobody's stupid. I should not go that. Some Oklahoma fans thought he should have dropped that pass. I'm like, nah, man, you make that play. That's what you do. You go make that play. You've got Jalen Redmond, I think, is going to be outstanding on that uh, defensive nose tackle plug, uh, position. You also have a Marcus Stripling, who I think has got a great first step. You've got guys in the middle like David Wegbu who can go. you got guys in the in, in on the sidelines that I think can help you when you go rotate in. Or Reggie Grimes, I think, is going to play a pivotal, pole, pivotal role in this team. You also have Andrew Graham, who I think is an outstanding center and probably is a candidate to win the Remington Award. They're just balanced. And I haven't been able to say that Oklahoma's balanced for a very, very long time. I'm excited to see what they can do with this non-conference where they ought to go 3-0. and They also got a Nebraska schedule there that... Well, Nebraska would like nothing more than to beat a ranked Oklahoma in Lincoln. Okay, next on that list is USC. Lincoln Riley obviously left Oklahoma to go to USC, brought Caleb Williams, Mario Williams with him, along with half of 2021's Oklahoma staff. I think the guy that makes them go is not necessarily going to just be Alex Grinch, although he is the defensive coordinator, but it's Brian Odom. If he gets a lot out of Shane Lee, an Alabama transfer who's got a lot in common with a guy like Kenneth Murray, a guy that Brian Odom developed into a first-round draft pick, that defense might be able to actually keep a lid on itself and allow Caleb Williams and the offense to go. They're studded at the transfer portal spots of running back, Oregon, Travis Dye. I mentioned the quarterback. I mentioned one wide receiver. Jordan Addison's going to be on the other side. You also add Brendan Rice. You got dudes to go after people at USC. And that's one of the reasons that they're ranked inside the top 15 for many. If you look at Lincoln Riley, you see 55 wins. You see just 10 losses. You see the talent that he has at his disposal, and that way I make them akin to a Texas A&M. They're just too good to leave off this list. Next on this list is Clemson. I'm not as high on Clemson. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt for two reasons. One, they play in the ACC, which is historically watered down, and they just lord over it. They're going to have some challengers this year, one being North Carolina State, who just edged out of this particular group. But it's about whether or not DJ Uwe Unglele or, to that point, K. Klubnick can come up with the kind of offensive play that they need at the quarterback position. They're going to have two ta uh, tailbacks that I think can go in Kobe Pace, Will Shipley, which one of those guys actually steps up. It's going to be more interesting. And then you're going to need Joseph Nada to be that guy on the outside with Frank Ladson going to Miami, losing Justin Ross. You just need to be sound offensively so that you can give your defense an opportunity to go make some plays. They're going to be studded defensively. They always have guys led by Brian Brzee uh, up front with Miles Murphy. You're going to be in a great place to try to put the clamps on most of your opponents. And the non-conference schedule is not, it's not difficult. Most difficult games I think they have on the schedule, October 1st against North Carolina State, Notre Dame on November 5th. They make it through those. They'll get into the ACC championship game. They win that. We're really probably going to be picking between an ACC champ, a Big 12 champ, and a Pac-12 champ to fill out what we expect to be the fourth spot in the college football playoff. And then Clemson has shown that they can win national championships if you give them half a chance. Shocking Alabama in 2018 with one of the great seasons in all of college football with a true freshman quarterback. Last on the list, the one I'm probably going to catch the smoke, most smoke for, bring it, Texas. They're talented, man. And I like Steve Sarkeesian and the way that he's gone about building the 2022 team. 
less enthusiastic about lording over the program and more enthusiastic about, hey, I'm a dude trying to get to know you. We've done a lot more team bonding, he told me, at Big 12 Media Days. You have a talented wide receiver in Xavier Worthy to match with an extremely talented quarterback in Quinn Ewers, a guy that ought to be getting some fringe Heisman love and a former Ohio State quarterback that, like most Ohio State quarterbacks, end up transferring because he's just not the guy. The number of dudes that have basically been Ryan Day protégés that go on to do pretty doggone good, cool things is growing, right? we got Jack Miller in a quarterback derby with Anthony Richardson. We've got Quinn Ewers winning the job at Texas. We've got Joe Burrow leaving because he lost the job to Dwayne Haskins, who's pretty doggone good, to have one of the great quarterback seasons that we've ever seen. I think what's more about that is that nobody's unhappy with Dwayne Haskins being the quarterback at Ohio State for those years. Everybody felt really good about that. And now that you know that C.J. Stroud's going to be the guy, I would love nothing more than to see Texas and Ohio State go after each other. But then again, I would like to see Ohio State and Oklahoma go after each other because that is the game that spawned this channel, if you're watching on YouTube, and got me into this in a very real way some years after deciding that I want to talk about and write about college football in college. Now, those are my 10 that I think we can really, really, really talk about in the preseason being those that can make the national title game. But obviously, we're going to see how this moves and shakes. A lot is going to be determined September 10th when Alabama travels to Texas to play Texas on the 40 acres. I hope that, that game is close because if it is, a lot of people are going to be looking at Texas just a little bit differently to say nothing of what USC and Notre Dame might do, to say nothing of what Oklahoma might do in the Big 12, or even whether or not an AM ends up in the SEC title game, which means they would have leapfrogged Alabama, which frankly, we just, I would be here for that in the Nick Saban era. Okay. I want to go from the 10 teams that can play for the national title in the national title game to my five most important non-conference games. All right. So I spent a lot of time thinking about this one. And at the top of the list for me is number two, Ohio State versus number five, Notre Dame. This according to the AP. I also have Ohio State number two, and I think I have Notre Dame number six in my rankings. I think that this game is going to set the table for both of these programs going down the rest of the year. Notre Dame can pull off the upset that Oregon could last year. We're going to be talking about Notre Dame as being a national title contender because we know how good Ohio State is. That's what that means. If Ohio State wins, same as it ever was, one of the two best teams in all of college football, if they win by a lot, Yo, man, we're going to have some real knee-jerk reactions about Notre Dame and some real knee-jerk reactions about Ohio State. So much so that now you won't find anybody that's looking at Ohio State's regular season schedule and is willing to say that they're not going to win at least 11 games, if not 10. And anytime that you're the dude that says they're going to win 11 or 10, everybody wants to know, who are they losing to, right? Who do you bet on? to beat Ohio State, and that's why they're one of the two best teams in college football for us in the preseason. None of us feel comfortable picking against Ohio State. None of us feel comfortable picking against Alabama. It happens. Like, A&M jumps up and bites Alabama. Oregon jumps up and bite Ohio State. But you don't want to go out there on a limb in August and say that because, well, you just don't want to be that guy. Some people are cowards. I am not. That said, I'm very excited to see what Tyler Buckner can do against this Ohio State defense that's going to have a brand-new scheme. And whether or not the dude learns to slide, you heard me, Tyler, slide. It, hey, man, take it from me. I'm a short king, okay? I love my short kings. You can't, you can't play big man football. That's just not going to – you are not Josh Allen out there. If you go slide, everything's going to be fine. Also, hand the ball to Chris Tyree. That's fine. 
That's a great way to go and let the defense get you the ball back. For Ohio State, hey, man, keep a lid on your defense and let C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and the squad go put up 50 a game. Next on this list for me is Texas versus number one, Alabama. I circle this game mostly because I'm high on Texas. Many folks know this. It gets blogged about from time to time. I'm also an Oklahoma fan who's high on Texas. So, you know, I've alienated everybody. Like, <laughs> because I'm out here telling you what I think and being objective about it. But I think that if Texas can beat Alabama, we have to talk about Texas making the national championship game because they would become the front runner to win the Big 12 championship. And frankly, if you beat Alabama, you shouldn't lose to anybody else. You will because you're Texas. But kind of like that Ohio State thing, once they were able to upset the 10-point nice million-dollar man and the Tide, yeah, yeah, everybody's going to be on board with Texas. So Texas has an opportunity to make me look really good. They can pull out this upset. That said, most of y'all listening to this are like, hey, RJ, you know like I know that Alabama's going to boat race Texas at home. And I'm like, I don't know that because I, I think they're talented. I think that if Pete Kwiatkowski can figure out the defense and keep Bryce Young harried and under wraps, like, you forget this. A&M beat them. Auburn nearly beat them with the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback who did not look like a Heisman Trophy winner in either one of those games. Honestly, it's it can happen, and I'm just here for that. I would like to see what the scoreboard has to say at the end. Texas keeps that close. We're still going to talk well about them, so I feel like they're playing with found money because nobody expects them to go win this game. It's one of the reasons why I think that Alabama has to leave no doubt and try to put up 42 in the first half. Otherwise, you risk getting into a quadruple overtime game like Oklahoma did, and you just don't want that. But if you do, probably going to hear a lot more rat poison, probably going to hear a lot more Nick Saban locking down stuff. But Nick is loose with this group. He really likes them. He called last year a rebuilding year, and all they did was make the national championship game and beat Alabama, or beat Georgia excuse me, in the SEC championship game. That's pretty doggone stiff. All right, number three on this list for me is Georgia, number three of Georgia, and I say versus Number 11, Oregon, because the game's played in Atlanta. Like, they call it a neutral site game. You got Oregon traveling from Eugene to Atlanta to play Georgia, and you have the nerve to call it a neutral site game because they're not playing at Sanford. Miss me. Even if you wanted to say, hey, they are playing at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you know where they're all? That's the home base for them. They will play there in December for the SEC championship game. Like, Dan Lanning knows what he's walking into because he was defense coordinator on that national champion Georgia team last year. He's going to hope that Killy Dillingham is, I don't know, sprinkled some fairy dust over Bo Nix and can keep him upright as that Georgia front seven is going to be chasing him and trying to hurt him. Michael Williams is probably going to have a show out game in this one. If you don't know Michael Williams' name, you probably will. He'll probably be a stand-up five, or excuse me, a down five, a stand-up seven, or a stand-up nine, right? That's the defensive line nomenclature to say he's going to go after your left tackle and you're going to try to do everything again to chip him, but it's not going to really work because he's that good. You also are going to have to hope that Bo Nix knows something about the offense that, frankly, I don't know, which is to say that he can pull out a win like he did when Auburn went to play Oregon a couple years ago, or say a couple years ago, like four years ago, when they played against Justin Herbert in Oregon. He played badly for 59 minutes, 30 seconds, then turned into Superman there at the end. If you're in a one-square ball game with Georgia toward the end and you're Oregon, you got to feel really, really great about that. I think Tosh LePoy is going to really relish trying to get after Todd Munkin's offense and going after Kirby Smart because, again, 
Josh LaPoy is a former Alabama assistant and a guy that was raised under Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. Both of those guys want to get after Kirby Smart in his home base. And it might be one of those like Josh McDaniel slash Bill Belichick moments where you see Josh McDaniel get that one win as Denver Broncos head coach and then fist pump and then it all falls apart. Might go that way. Because if you're willing to sell out to win that game, you have an opportunity. But Oregon needs to sell out to win all of its non-conference games because it's a death march, man. I'm looking at what they got on their schedule. I'm going, I wouldn't have put that together, but more power to you. For Georgia, you go beat up on Oregon. Everybody expects that. And you march straight toward what I think will be an SEC East division crown and back to the national championship game with an appearance in the SEC championship game. Because frankly, nobody actually needs to, we don't need to play the SEC championship game. We're post-SEC championship game because we're just going to put those two teams in the college football playoff because nobody gives a damn whether or not you won your conference championship anymore. Otherwise, that would be the reason that you get into a college football playoff. But no, we do eye test here, and we're going to do eye test when we come to putting teams in playoffs and eye test when we go into the top 25, which is one of the reasons why I've kind of got an issue with y'all with my top 25. I'm using your eye test to put out my top 25, and y'all got the feelings. Come on now. You can't have it both ways. I gave you methodology, and now I'm giving you my eye test, and everybody got something to say. Number four on the list for my five most important non-conference games, I got number six, A&M, versus number 16, Miami. All right. A&M can't afford to lose this game, and Crystal Ball would have to go out and win it. So I think that DJ Durkin has an opportunity here to really show what the defense is capable of because they're going to feel real good about the offense in Miami. Tyler Van Dyke is a fringe Heisman candidate, mostly on the strength of what he was able to do last year. And if you want to look for somebody to be, have a Kenny Pickett year, look no further than Josh Gaddis and Tyler Van Dyke making it happen. They also have a couple of outstanding tailbacks back there, Jalen Knighton and Henry Parrish. Henry Parrish coming from Ole Miss. Both guys are speedsters. Both guys can get after folks. For me, I, I just want to know the offensive line is going to be good. And I know Mario Cristobal is a former offensive lineman. He brought Alex Mirabel with him because Alex Mirabel is an outstanding offensive line coach. Also, the only short king out there coaching offensive line. I really, really love that. Both of those guys are two peas in the pod. I think the offensive line is going to be good, but if it isn't, they're going to get boat raced by AM. That said, you can't be talking noise like AM. You can't be talking toys about putting AM in that championship game if they can't go beat up on Miami. Miami needs to remind everybody that, yeah, we have we have the capacity, the capacity to be the U. I ain't seen it. I ain't seen it for 20 years. I ain't seen it. I'd like to see it. I was raised on the U, okay? Give me an opportunity to talk about the U. Otherwise, I'm going to make you retire the U like you retired the turnover chain, which is the only fun thing that Miami had done in years because it ain't like they're out here winning national championships. You have an opportunity, put everybody on notice, you go get a win at Kyle Field, okay? Just throwing that out there, right? Whether or not it's Haynes King, Connor Weigman, or my goodness, Max Johnson at quarterback, make it happen. Put the clamps on Aeneas Smith. Can you do that? Can you put the clamps on Devin A. Chain? Show me what James Williams can do back there, six foot five as a safety, a friggin' pterodactyl. This is an opportunity to showcase ACC football and the U and a place where you would like to recruit. You like to recruit Southern Texas if you can, or I should say Texas Hill Country if you can. All right. Last on this list of the top five non conference games going on this year for me is number 25, BYU versus number 10, Baylor. Tough, tough game for Baylor, right? Tough game for Brigham Young. You got the defending Big 12 champion, right? And a fringe college football playoff team last year, things just go a little bit different for the, uh, differently for them over the course of the season. Remember, Texas Christian had Chandler, uh, yes, Chandler Morris put up 461 yards of offense on 
Baylor's defense, which, you know, is what Dave Aranda and Ron Roberts have built their reputation around. You can't have any of those games if you want to compete for the college football playoff spot and get in there. On the other side, Brigham Young is looking at winning 10 games again for the third straight year. Had they played in the Pac-12, they would have gone 5-0 and and been in the Pac-12 championship game against Utah, which might have been a better game because Oregon got boat raced twice in 13 days. And then Mario Cristobal said, I can't do no more of this, and bounced same year that you beat Ohio State on the road. College football is just wild, y'all. For BYU, if Jaron Hall is the dude that I think he can be, this ought to be light work. But for Baylor, if, if yeah, for Baylor, if Blake Shapin, Shapin, not Shapin, Shapin is the guy that I think he can be, where you're just completing passes at an impossible clip, you're going to have a defense that can back you up. I really like Siaka, uh, yes, Siaka Ika at nose tackle and Jackson Player at nose tackle. I think between those two dudes, you're going to have an outstanding defensive line. It's can Dylan Doyle uh, be one of those guys that clogs those holes and goes and fills people? Defensively, they're going to be fine. Offensively, I'm still waiting to see who the tailback ends up being because Abram Smith was manna from heaven. It's a linebacker that they converted to running back, and he rushed for 1,600 yards while Tristan Eberton were still pretty good as a tailback for them. You're losing a couple of guys that I thought were pretty good, and R.J. Snead, for instance, going to Colorado. And then, yeah, we got Taquan Thornton going to the NFL. Yeah, Taquan Thornton, not Taquan, going to the NFL. All of this is coming off the top of my brain because everybody's really over the moon about me being able to spit out all these names and all these players and all these statistics, but that ain't what you care about. You care about whether or not either one of those teams are going to play in the national championship game. And I got to tell you, BYU ain't Notre Dame, even if sometimes they would like for us to believe it. So you need to run the table and need to give nobody any reason to doubt you. And you need you need some luck. You need Notre Dame to have a bad season. You need Clemson to have a bad season. You need some teams that I put in those top 10 that can make the national championship game to have bad years. It will happen. It's just whether or not you can take advantage of it. All right. One team that I left off here was Cincinnati and Arkansas. Just real quickly. I don't think that game has national championship implications. Full stop. Right. It's on par with some of the better games that I've seen. But if I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick a defending power five conference champion to go against what I think is, if not the second best, the second or third best independent in all of college football, as opposed to a nine win team and a team that got boat raced in the college football playoff that lost a lot of its best players last year. It's just it's no shade to Arkansas, Cincinnati. It's just the way that this season has broken with these outstanding non-conference games that we have. I'm really excited about that game as well. I had top five, didn't have a top six. Sue me, Michigan. Now, from that segment, I want to go to this segment. Top five Heisman candidates, according to moi. All right. First, I'm going to say this. Those of y'all listening on the pod, I'm, I'm grabbing the bridge of my nose here because I'm, I'm about to talk Heisman candidates. You're not new. You know I feel differently about who the best players are in college football. You also know I watch more than quarterbacks throwing it. I have feelings about this, so we're going to go through that. I'm prefacing all that to let you know I have feelings about this, but I'm very excited about each one of these players, and I think that each one of these players could prove to be the best player in college football. It's just not whether or not whether the Heisman voters are going to see it my way, and since they don't watch football, it's the only thing I can come up with. Yeah, we're going to have this. All right, number one on the list for me, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud. 4,400 yeah, 4, yards passing last year, 44 passing touchdowns, just six interceptions. He's got the tools. He's got the weapons. 
We've got Jackson Smith and Jigba catching passes from this dude for the past two years. We've got Travion Henderson going into what I expect to be an even bigger year for him now that we know that Evan Pryor is out for the year and he's going to be the bell cow back. You've got Paris Johnson playing that offensive line. Got an offensive line is long and mean. And you've got not just Jackson Smith and Jigba, but Julian Fleming, who everybody that wants to say something like, hey, RJ, remember Julian Fleming? Yes, I remember Julian Fleming. He was number one wide receiver recruit in the class of 2020. He's also joined by Emeka Egbuka as the number one wide receiver recruit in the class of 2021. And Marvin, <laughs> Marvin Harrison Jr., whose daddy's a Hall of Famer, and who has apparently turned into David Boston in the offseason. Have you seen this man with his shirt off? It's ridiculous. And then Brian Hartline is having a phenomenal stretch here as the wide receiver coach at Ohio State, putting two of his guys into the NFL draft first round for the uh, first time Ohio State's had that since 2007. And what I think is, you know, giving Larry Johnson Sr. a run for his money as the best assistant on that staff, I still think it's Larry Johnson Sr., and I will, I will fight for that. That dude has been magnificent for Ohio State. And really, magnificent as an assistant coach says the world to me that 2020 Ryan Day had to sit out the Michigan State game due to COVID he handed the controls over to Larry Johnson senior that is the kind of respect that man commands from his peers and on that staff for Stroud to go win the Heisman Trophy all they got to do is run the table and not even run the table well I say that it'd be easy if they run the table if they don't go for 400 against Notre Dame go for 400 against Michigan and we'll call it good right because what I know about Heisman Trophy voters is they're going to watch the nationally televised games. They don't give a damn about what you're going to do with your non-conference schedule that doesn't have a number next to the name. So we're all going to watch that game on September 3rd, and we're all going to draw some conclusions. And then I'm never going to hear from a Heisman voter again until December, and it's going to just drive me nutty. Next on the list for me is Bryce Young at Alabama. All right. I got to put Bryce Young on the list here because everybody would have something to say about me not having Bryce Young on the list here because he is the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, but that also negates him winning the Heisman Trophy again if you're paying attention to any of how we have discussed and how people vote for the Heisman Trophy. Archie Griffiths is the last guy to win two Heismans, and everybody wants to throw that in my face when they want to talk about who the best tailback was ever in the Big Ten. I'm going the Heisman Trophy does not make you the best tailback ever in the Big Ten, but he is the only dude in the history of the sport that's got two of them, right? Now, I also think the Heisman voters are a little petty in that if Bryce Young goes for 5,600 yards and 60 touchdowns and five interceptions, a la Joe Burrow, they'll still try to give it to somebody else because they just don't want to have the same guy winning it back-to-back. That said, he needs to really put away the bad games. The Auburn game, the A&M game need to go away. He needs to have more games like the one he had against Georgia in the SEC championship game. And he'll have to do that without the likes of Jamison Williams, without the likes of John Mechie, without the likes of Slade Bolton. He's going to have to develop partnerships with guys like Jermaine Burton, guys like Corey Brooks, guys like, well, yeah, you got to throw the ball to some running backs this year. Jameer Gibbs, Roy Dell Williams. Like, you got dudes that you got to distribute to, and they got to keep him upright. But he's got the tools to go win it, and it's his trophy right now. Like, that's, that's what it is. We don't see too many returning Heisman Trophy winners to the sport. The only reason he returned is because he's not draft eligible. All right, next on the list for that, probably the best player in all of college football, probably the guy that I'm going to be stomping on the table for, Will Anderson, who is a do-everything player for Alabama. Now, the statistics are just gaudy. 34 and a half tackles for loss, 17 and a half sacks last year. That is ridiculous. You have entire FBS programs that will not get to 17 sacks in an entire year. Like, it's going to happen. 
usually, if you have a guy that is that productive, we're all talking about him being a first-round draft pick and maybe the number one overall pick. And shocker, it's probably how it's going to work in 2023 because he is that dynamic. 2019, I said that the best player in all of college football was Chase Young, played defensive end at Ohio State. Everybody wanted to clown me because Joe Burrow had a great year. And all I kept telling everybody was Joe Burrow had Clyde Edwards-Alaire behind him, Jamar Chase on the outside, Justin Jefferson on the outside, Terrace Marshall in the middle. What else are we talking about here? Like, honestly, he had the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line in front of him. I love Joe. I think Joe's a cool dude. I think Joe's a great quarterback. But he wasn't the best player in college football because he didn't have to be the best player in college football. He had everybody on his offense. Ridiculous. Meanwhile, Will Anderson is going to talk against your, go against your entire offensive line. They're going to move him around. He's going to bounce around. He's going to be in a stand-up nine. He's going to be in a down five. He might even play some inside linebacker on some packages. I would not be shocked to see it because you were trying to get the most out of that dude. I'm also setting the table here. If Will Anderson is the reason that Texas can't move the football, I'm going to yell about it. Okay? If Will Anderson is the reason that A&M can't move the football, I'm going to yell about it. Okay? They got dudes on their schedule that I think should be able to give him a run for his money. And if they don't, I'm going to be doing the same thing I last that I did last year, which is caping for a defensive player to win this offensive award. And don't give me the Charles Woodson stuff. He had to go both ways and play special teams to win the damn Heisman Trophy. And that's one of the best defensive backs ever in, in, at any level, period. See, I said something nice about you, Michigan. Right there, okay? I don't want to be the dude that's always standing on the table for the defensive player because I'm an offensive mind. Like, that's where I go. I play quarterback. That's... That's that's my I'm a Leo. You get it like I'm, I'm here to put on not to be put on, but to put on. So for me to stand on the table for a defensive player means that I know I'm right. Watch Will Anderson play some football this year and you'll be right too. next on the list for me. Ohio State wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba. Look, we've had two wide receivers win this trophy in 30 years. We've had a total of, I think, four ever. The first one being Johnny Rogers back in Nebraska, but many of y'all forgot that. Johnny Rogers also won the Heisman after catching a felony. <laughs> College football. Love this sport. <laughs> then you got Tim Brown, Notre Dame, right? I don't know, man. Uh, sure. And then you got, you got Desmond Howard at Michigan who had to strike the Heisman for everybody to know because he ran one back. And then we got Devontae Smith here. So we got two players in the last 30 years who play wide receiver who won the Heisman Trophy. I don't think that people gave Devontae Smith the Heisman Trophy because he's the best player on that team. I think they gave him the Heisman Trophy because he was the healthiest best player on that team. Jalen Waddell is still a more talented wide receiver. He was going to do all the things Devontae Smith got to do. You also had Mac Jones over there who was throwing him passes, and I was actually kind of shocked to see that Mac Jones was not getting more play for the Heisman Trophy, but he was a Heisman finalist, right? Where also means that, or that also means, excuse me, that one of the great players to ever play the sport, right? This Blonde hair, long haired blonde dude from Georgia that played at Clemson. Okay. Didn't win the Heisman Trophy. This war, dude, it's just, it's all over the map. It's, it's no offensive lineman will ever win it. No safety's ever going to win it. No linebacker's ever going to win it. Hey, we made Manti Teo a Heisman finalist. Yeah. And all that dude did was shut people down and then he got catfish and now we're talking about it. I'm saying. I would really like to see you prove me wrong with the Jackson Smith and Jigba because that dude went for, man, stupid amount of yards last year. As a matter of fact, 
The idea that they were left off the finalists for the Bolitnikoff list, they being Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, was kind of asinine. Like, I don't know that Jordan Addison shouldn't have won it. He was outstanding. But I'm looking what Jackson Smith and Jigba is capable of doing. And frankly, he did all that after Olave and Wilson were gone. But he went for 347 against Utah in the Rose Bowl. That is the bowl record for receiving yards in a game. And it was nasty. Like, he was running through people. He wasn't just taking the top off of the defense. And this is at a time when both Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, without a doubt, pointed to him and said, that's the best wide receiver of the three of us. And all those dudes did was get drafted in the first round last year or this year. Ridiculous what that dude is capable of. He's going to be the number one for CJ Stroud this year. And I honestly think that Jackson Smith and Jig was going to have a hard time winning the Heisman Trophy. CJ Stroud is his quarterback because, well, it's a quarterback driven award. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba can have 30 touchdowns and 2,000 yards receiving, and they would still give this award to C.J. Stroud because he's probably going to have 4,800, 5,000, and like 70 touchdowns if he's throwing that many to one guy because you're going to have a bunch of dudes butt naked open down the field because everybody's going to try to bracket their coverage to Jackson Smith and Jigba at least to start. And then you're going to see Marvin Harrison over here, Julian Fleming over there, Mecca Agabuco over there, and you're going to see my man Travion Henderson over here on the swing route. You're just, you're just cooked. You're just cooked. Like, that's how we're looking at this Ohio State thing. Okay, last dude on the list that we have to mention for me, Oklahoma quarterback Dylan Gabriel. Now, a lot of this has to do with his partnership with Jeff Levy, and they're going to try to get the band back together and make it do what it do because they were pretty good when they were both at Central Florida. He stayed at Central Florida. Jeff Levy took a job as offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, and they moved the ball pretty well with Matt Corral, who's a dude that I did not think was a great quarterback at all coming off of that 2020 year. Frankly, he threw six interceptions in one game against Arkansas. C.J. Stroud threw six interceptions all of last year. (laughs) Okay. If Dylan Gabriel can avoid that kind of outing, Dylan Gabriel is going to be outstanding because the schedule sets up for him. Like the toughest teams you're going to play this year if you're Oklahoma are Baylor, Texas, Oklahoma State. Right? And there's a lot of people that have a hard time even saying Texas is going to give Oklahoma a hard time. But I'm an OU fan, and that means I know that Texas shows up to play Oklahoma. Even when they suck, they show up to give Oklahoma the business in the Cotton Bowl. They go 5-7 and seven in a year where they had OU on the ropes, got the starting quarterback pulled, and then got the backup quarterback pulled for the starting quarterback again with a defense that was giving up more than 450 yards a game. You got to put up 400 against Texas for people to take you seriously, Dylan. That's what I'm telling you. Don't get pulled. Play good football. Distribute the football to Marvin Mims. Distribute the football to Eric Gray. When Gavin Sawcheck gets some run, give it to him too. Drake Stoops is going to be there on the outside. You got dudes that can help you out if you're Dylan Gabriel. If they all acclimate themselves to the offense in the way that I think they are, they're going to, they're going to get off 80 plays a game, and that's a lot. That's, that's a ton, especially as I expect that defense to be the best it's been mostly since Brent Venables left. Just saying a lot. Very excited to see Brent Venables back here. Very excited to see Dylan Gabriel and what he's capable of in the Big 12. And also, people see an Oklahoma quarterback and they want to give him the benefit of the doubt. That's the way it works. Kind of like seeing Alabama and Georgia in the SEC championship game. You're just going to put them in the college football playoff. You've got a quarterback at Oklahoma that can go for 3,800, 4,500 yards passing. Keep it under 13 picks. Go over 30 touchdowns. He's going to be a Heisman finalist probably gets an invitation, if not trying to win the award. You know how this worked for Baker Mayfield. He got there in 2016. They gave it to him in 2017. Kyler Murray played one year of football. Tua Tagovailoa got hurt. He played his 
behind off in the Big 12 championship game against Texas because they rate because it matters. And he walks into a Heisman Trophy and number one overall draft pick in the NFL draft when all I wanted him to do was play baseball because I love baseball and I love the idea of Kyler Murray playing baseball, but he made the best decision. That's what that is. Okay. As always, my thanks to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, our director today, Chaz Boudelet. Appreciate you, dog. I'm also indebted to our coordinating producer, Catherine Donnelly, who helped put all this together and helped us create this show. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohen. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all in a couple of days. Deuces.